So I've been thinking a lot about Richard's lesson from last Sunday. I found it really helpful. Um, and just the broader idea of this group here, you know, that meets in this living room right now, um, being unified even though we're a diverse group. And we're diverse in a bunch of different ways, ages, genders, ethnicities, where we come from, where we see ourselves going in life. I mean, we have a lot of different things about us that make us unique in those ways. Um, but I found Richard's lesson helpful because the, our DNA is the same, and that's Jesus Christ. And so um, this morning, I actually want to talk about uh, another aspect of diversity that, we're gonna, that we experience here. Um, the, uh, and I would like to discuss it. It's kind of a topic that is near and dear to my heart in a way. Um, but also a topic I feel that we don't, maybe as a church, or at least in my experiences, we don't talk about quite as much, and that is um, being single, and that is to be not married, but be a Christian. Um, and some of the things that we experience, some of the things that we are called to do, the ways we're called to think about that, whether we're in that position or not. Um, and so this was a lesson that I actually did a couple years ago um, and as a single guy, and now here I am married. So I'm sitting in a different position. I think it's actually been helpful to kind of think through some of my points that I made originally from the other side of the discussion, and I, hopefully it's refined them a little bit and given me more of a whole understanding. But um, this group here actually is really cool and dynamic in that um, we have people that are single as well as married, and it's almost a 50-50 split. And so as uh, I think about that, I thought it might be a helpful lesson for us to think about how we can be unified, even though that aspect of our life specifically may be different. Um, all right, so with that said, I would like to start uh, in Matthew 19. We're going to read that in just a second. I'd also like to say this, that as we try to be an influence in kind of this immediate community in Atlanta as a city, we're going to encounter a lot of people who are diverse from us. Um, if you haven't already, just being in Atlanta, um, we can't escape it, right? And so we need to think about practical ways that though we're different, we can approach one another. And so hopefully in this lesson, not only are we thinking about ways that it's helpful in here as we relate to one another, whether we find ourselves as a married person or as a single person, we can also use these tools, hopefully, to approach people outside of the church in our community, whether they're single or married. We have these biblical concepts to draw from and to help us approach them as well. Because I was reading a little bit of uh, information, uh, refreshing my memory on this topic and getting current, I guess, and as current as I could find. And Time Magazine said that 78% uh, of households as of 1950 were married households. Um, and that was also to say there were, four, there were only 4 million households, according to the census then, that were single households. So the percentage was high of married people. The number was low of single people. And that, and that is changing for a number of reasons, good or bad. Some people are deciding they just want to be single. They want to pursue their life as a single person more readily today. And there's also other circumstances that come into play with that. In 2012 the newest information I could get my hands on, 31 million households are single, up from 4 million uh, 60 years ago. And it is 48% of households are actually married households. 
So actually, um, I think it's pertinent for us to discuss this as we relate to our community, as we relate to each other, because honestly, the uh, demographics have shifted. And so it's something that we need to figure out how to biblically think about and how to practice. So Matthew 19, if you would, if you're not already there, Matthew 19, I want to read verses 11 and 12. Um, I think it's helpful to think about some of the, the, the context of this. Actually, Richard referenced it earlier this morning in Bible class. Um, in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus is teaching, or rather answering some questions about divorce. Why it's there, what, what are the parameters on it, what are the details of when you can be divorced. And Jesus actually uh, is very specific and in verse 3 of Matthew 19, they say, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And Jesus' answer is no, not for any cause. And he goes on to answer that question that he actually begins in Genesis. God created man and woman to become one flesh and to stay that way. That was the intent. Well, then they ask another question. Then why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And that's in verse 7. And so Jesus then answers that question. He says, well, since the beginning it was not that way, but because of the hardness of your heart, Moses has allowed you to divorce. And so, verse 10, if the disciples say to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. You know, this is difficult to grasp. It seems like they come to the conclusion that's a difficult way to live. If you're not able to just get out of it for any reason, that's a big commitment. And so Jesus then begins in verse 11 by saying, but he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. And so Jesus goes on to give an example or help them think about how it's better not to marry. He says, well, you know what? There's some men, and he uses men as an example here, that by men are unable to have families. They're unable to marry and have children and have families. And some have been created that way by men. Some have been created that way by birth. That's just how they were born. And then some have decided to be that way for the purposes of God. It says the kingdom of heaven at the end of the verse. And so I think... For those, or for as we consider this morning what it means to be single, to be not married, and to be a Christian, um, I think this is a helpful text to begin with because I think it gives us a couple reasons why someone might find themselves in that position. Um, so, questions regarding single Christians why would anyone be single and be a Christian? Certainly, we can go back to Genesis and we say, well, God created man and woman to be together from the beginning, just as Jesus alluded to in Matthew 19. And so we all have to be married, right? That, that you know, if that's the only thing you look at, that could be a natural conclusion. Certainly, Matthew 19 says that that's not always the case. While it is good to be married, and God designed it to be that way, there are instances in which people are not married. Matthew 19, I think, addresses some of those because of circumstance, one might not be married even though they're a Christian and understands God's teaching of who a man is and who a woman is. One might not be married because of their circumstances of their life, whether men have made them unable to have a family 
and we can draw our own conclusions with that in different ways that that might be true, or whether they have made themselves unable to have a family or to be married. Um, there's people that make that decision for themselves. They say, you know what? I'm not going to be married. I'm not going to have a family. There's some people that that decision is made for them. That's a little foreign to me because I never had that decision made for me. But there are people out there that have had that decision made on their behalf. Um, and then there's also choice. You know, Circumstances dictate, but there's also somebody might just choose. They might just choose for themselves that that's the way they want to live their life. And Matthew 19 seems to say, you know what, that's okay. There's those people who decide that. You know, at the end of the verse, uh, verse 12, in fact, it says that they choose that in verse 12 for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. So there's even an idea in which somebody might decide that for spiritual or religious reasons, that they're going to be single. And so as we approach our community, as we kind of relate to each other, I think it's helpful for all of us to understand, one, that while marriage is useful and designed by God, certainly, that there are instances, because of circumstance or by choice, that Christians are not going to be married and they're not going to have families. Um, We see that probably with our co-workers, we see that with our friends and our family, and we see that here. It's helpful for us to all understand that even scripturally that is true and accurate. Um, All right. So as we think about these questions, as we have questions regarding why someone might be single and Christian, we we why would anyone be single? Because of circumstance? Because of choice? Go to math or go to First Corinthians chapter seven. First Corinthians chapter seven, and we're going to be referencing this chapter a lot because 1 Corinthians chapter 7 talks about uh, marriage and being single a lot. And so there's a lot to draw out of it. Someone might remain single as a Christian because their circumstances tell them they need to be, because they have to be. Some might be single and Christian because they choose to be. Well, some people might be because of both of those. Circumstances have caused them to decide to be single. And I think that's what's referenced here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 26, and then we'll also look at verse 28. Verse 26, 1 Corinthians 7. I think that in view of the present distress... It is good for a person to remain as he is, skipping to verse 28. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. So in this context, he's setting up those who are unmarried and married and making applications and making points. But he says in verse 26 that there's some context in Paul's day. There's some thing going on, some circumstance present that some may, because of that circumstance, decide to be unmarried. Paul even encourages that. He thinks that's a wise move in that day and age for that circumstance to remain unmarried. The reason I bring this up is um, even today, you know, somebody may encounter a circumstance um, or, and make the decision to not pursue a husband or a wife or uh, a family 
for some of us, culturally, that's kind of a weird thing. We grew up maybe thinking a family and uh, having a spouse is mandatory. Or maybe we grew up thinking that it was just the better life to live. Like only, you'd only be single if you were forced to, right? If it was like everything else in life failed. And, um, but Paul seems to think that the wise thing to do is consider circumstance, consider what's going on in your life and what's going on in the world, and make a decision. And that's the beautiful thing about it. As we exercise unity in the body through our diversity here, um, we have to recognize that people make decisions for themselves, and that decision is a liberty that we have. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 seems to indicate, Matthew chapter 19 again seems to indicate that there's a liberty in making that decision, even as a Christian. Um, so, regardless of the decision we've made in our lives personally, we need to understand biblically that someone may make a different decision than you. And that's something we have to understand within the realms of our faith. Um, all right. So someone would be single because of circumstance, choice, or perhaps even both. Um, well, are there benefits? Are there biblical benefits to being a Christian and remaining single? Making that your decision. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 again addresses this uh, somewhat in depth here. Again, we'll look at these same verses, verses 26 through 28. We'll also look at verse 32 as well. Verse 26 again, I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she's not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. All right, going down to verse 32, I want you to be free from anxieties. I'll just stop there for now. Again, circumstance has caused Paul to come to a conclusion in his own opinion, and that is he would encourage those who are not already bound to a wife to not seek a wife in this particular distress, whatever that may be. We'll just leave that as what it is. Um, so are there benefits to remaining single? Apparently Paul, according to your circumstances, can see how in ways it would leave you free of concern, or as some translations might say care. Um, as one makes this decision for themselves, only they can know how much concern or trouble it would bring to them in their circumstance. Um, and that's kind of a, a personal thing that we have to answer or ask ourselves. But some of the things that Paul lays down in these verses can be helpful. Are you bound to a wife? Are you already married? Well, then don't seek to now live a single life, right? Don't, don't make that transition. That's not an appropriate thing. In fact, that's breaking something that you've already promised to be a part of. But if you consider your circumstances and you're free from a wife and you see that your circumstances might cause care or concern, well, then you're not bound to seek a wife. Don't seek a wife if that's your conclusion. Don't seek a husband if that's your conclusion. So in a way, we have to ask ourselves, uh, if we're in a position to still make this decision, would it leave me free from concern? Would it be helpful in my circumstances to not be bound to a husband or a wife? But then also on more of a positive note, 
if we continue to read in verse 32 and we read through verse 35, Paul seems to be saying that, in fact, you have more freedom or more uh, ability in ways that those who are bound do not have in serving God. Look at verse 32 on the back end of verse 32. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. The unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. All right. So to Paul, there seems to be a clearer path or an easier path to having undivided attention to the Lord. Now, as a married man or as a married woman, our attention needs to be on the Lord. I mean, that needs to be our sole, meaningful, long-term vision is on the Lord. But God recognizes that there's responsibilities in a marriage and that kind of union. You're going to have cares. You're going to need to be concerned with your husband or your wife's welfare. God commands that. So he's not saying that's a bad thing, but he's merely making the point that for those who are single, they have a benefit of not having to think about those things. And they can devote themselves completely to God. It says, in fact, so much so that they're anxious in serving the Lord instead of being anxious of these other things. And so really, when you're trying to make that decision for yourself, if you find yourself in that position, and you're thinking about your life, or if you've already made that decision, and whatever decision you've made, hopefully you've made it with a view to, how is this going to help me serve the Lord? Will being married help me serve the Lord? If I decide to find a husband or a wife, that person has to help me serve the Lord. And if I decide to remain single, is it to serve the Lord? Is, am I going to be undivided in my service to the Lord by being single? Paul seems to indicate that that would be a primary reason to stay single. If you're going to stay single, make it time to be devoted to the Lord. And so as we approach our community, as we approach each other, um, you know, we can encourage people that way. Um, you know, it can be really hurtful and divisive to assume any decision for anyone. Um, as a single guy, I remember a lot of people, and I think they do it out of out of uh, a good heart, but a lot of people will come up to you and say, are you dating anybody? And you answer yes or no, whatever your answer is. Particularly if it's no, why not? Like what failure have you committed in life that somebody isn't willing to spend time with you, right? I think a better question for those of us who have already made that decision for ourselves or those of us who are older approaching those people that are single is to say, What's going on in your life? Have that conversation. You can still have that conversation. If they say, you know, I'm not dating anybody, if you ask that question, say, oh, okay. So what are you doing in your service for the Lord? You know, encourage people positively. You know, don't push someone towards one direction or the other because of your personal experience. Say, oh, have you thought, what, what is your reasons for X, Y, and Z? You know, encourage them. And I think that's where I want to move this lesson to. I don't want to focus on just 
why somebody might be single, what, what the reasons are. I want us to focus on a little bit what James read for us um, in Ephesians 4 is how, even though some of us may be single and some of us may be married and we're different in that way, how we can use those relationships and those differences to edify each other. Um, if you would turn with me, uh, actually, let's stay in 1 Corinthians 7. I forgot this one last thing here. 1 Corinthians 7, there is a danger that we need to consider or a temptation that we need to consider while we're making this decision, and that's simply to say in verse 8 and 9, there is temptation to consider. Uh, with, whatever, with whatever decision we make, um, we need to cons- be honest with ourselves and our circumstances personally to consider temptation. You know, and Paul discusses that at length in verse 8 and 9. Um, all right. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. One way that uh, single Christians can use it to their advantage to help the body. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7. I wish that all were as I myself am, Paul, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. I think this ties really tightly with 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that uh, Richard was speaking on last week. Paul wished that everybody would be like him. Don't we all kind of wish that sometimes? Like, I wish that you had what I had. That's kind of what we all, and I think that's the meaning of people whenever we discuss relationships. I just wish you had what I have. Whether I'm a single person talking to some miserable married person, oh, I wish you had what I had. Or whether I'm talking as a married person to someone who's single, I wish you had what I had. That's kind of what Paul's doing here, right? I wish you had what I had. But look at what he notices about the group he's talking to. Each person has their own gift. Each person has their own gift. Have you ever thought about it that way? Maybe your gift is to be single. Like that is your ability and your gift and you use it for the Lord. What if my gift is to be married and I can really serve the Lord in that marriage? I think it would help us as a group if whatever circumstance and decision we see each other making within biblical, spiritual guidelines, we see that as their gift. You know, I look at, I look at Chuck and Pat and I say, that's been their gift. They've had a long, healthy marriage. They've been able to help people in that, you know. And then I look at Richard and I say, Richard, he's single and he's been able to serve the Lord in a way that Chuck and Pat haven't been able to do because he's been single, and that's been his gift. And so if I look at the body as being diverse in that way and God is supplying in everyone's own unique way through their gifts, I can appreciate anyone's decision and their circumstance that has led them there. Um, And ultimately, it points me to God. I say, look what God has done in their life through their circumstances that I would not have chosen or anticipated. I could not have done that, but Richard could, thanks to God for that. So we can look at each other, and we can encourage each other in those ways. Um, I think it would be important, one way that we can build each other up before we turn to Ephesians 4 is in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, and then we'll turn to um, Ephesians 4. Mark chapter 10. 
Mark chapter 10. All right. Beginning in verse uh, 29, and we'll read verse 30 as well. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers, sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. I think the beauty of whatever decision we make is that we still have family. Mark chapter 10 tells us that even in this present age, even in whatever time you find yourself right now, whether you're married and have a bunch of kids, whether you're married and have no kids, whether you're not married and have zero kids, you have family. Um, And I think that's helpful for us as a group as we work with each other is to think, when I look across the room and I look at somebody and I think I'm their family, I don't limit them to whatever family that they've created for themselves or that God has given them and they've joined themselves to. I think I'm that person's family. And I think it tears down, in a sense, um, whatever walls I might create in my head of whatever relationship situation that they're in because I'm their family. You're my brother, you're my sister, and in a sense for some of us, I'm your kid, that's my daughter, that's my son. Uh, Any, as Richard was saying last Sunday, God has created a family that's very diverse, but the more we can think in terms of family with each other, the more we can support each other with whatever circumstance that we're in. I actually would like to, before we get to Ephesians 4, I'm inserting this one at the last minute. Titus chapter 2, Titus chapter 2 here, Titus chapter 2, we'll read verses 3 through 5, and then 6 through 8. These are, this is what I was hoping to get to in this lesson, kind of the practical application of these concepts of understanding that Someone could be single or be married and be a faithful Christian either way. One's not right or wrong. One offers different opportunities than the other. But I think Titus chapter 2 gives us some insight into our responsibilities to one another despite those. Titus chapter 2 verse 3. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Oftentimes I look at this verse and say, all right, older women are supposed to help younger women figure out marriage, figure out how to be submissive, figure out how to live with their husbands, figure out how to love their husbands and their children. But look, there's so much more in this list than that. Older women are also to be helping thing in ways that are not bound to relationships in that person, younger woman's life. Look at verse 3. They are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. Whether that young lady is married or not, does she need to know what is good? She absolutely does. 
does she need to know how to be self-controlled according to verse 5? Does she need to know how to be pure? Does she need to know how to be kind? And so again, like, it's an opportunity for an older married woman to show someone under her how to be in that married relationship, but it's also for somebody who may not find themselves in that relationship. She still has a responsibility as a family member to that woman show her how to be kind and pure. And so there's so much more there that I think maybe in my mind I don't think about. But also on the other side of things, I think this letter to Paul writing to Titus, it's almost as if Paul in verse 6 is saying in the same way or likewise, urge the younger men. So it's almost as if Titus is the older guy and he's to be urging the younger men just as the older women were to the younger women to be self-controlled. Again, that is not bound to any relationship that that young man might have put himself in, but just to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. Your teaching show integrity, dignity, sound speech that cannot be condemned. When we work with each other and we're trying to figure each other out and we wish, kind of like Paul sometimes, that other people were exactly as I am. We can look at these verses and say, you know what? I still need to be a role model for them in these ways. I can still be helpful for them, even though we're not in the exact same situation, by showing purity and kindness and love and teaching them to be self-controlled and letting my example of speech be helpful to them. And ultimately... It takes us to Ephesians 4, which James read for us a little bit early, earlier, and I appreciate him reading that. Ephesians chapter 4. And I want us to um, look at a couple things in these verses, and then this lesson will be over. Um, beginning in verse 1. Paul says, he, or he's urging them, the Ephesians, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Again, no appeal to young or old, or black or white, or rich or poor. No appeal to married or single. But this is a unified vision for those who are Christians. And he says, Walk in all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Again, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Again, there's an idea of we each have our own gift from God. Going down to verse 11 here. And he gave the apostles, prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, all these different roles to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Again, that's a united vision. We're all in the work of ministry. We're all ministering for building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God 
to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cutting, cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, that's something we can all do for one another, we are to grow up in every way to him who is the head, to Christ, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint in which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so again, we see broad vision, broad unity, specific ways that we can all practice this unity. But look at the very end here, verse 16, when each part is working, and he doesn't say the same, He doesn't say identically. He just says properly. So whatever way we find ourselves working because of our circumstance or because of our choice, certainly we need to understand that it needs to be proper. It needs to be a biblical concept. It needs to be the right way to live. But if maybe there's two right ways to live, I'm boiling this down super simply, but if being married is the right way to live, being single is the right way to live, either one is proper. Within that properness, if I can use that word, we need to be exercising this unity because we're a part of the body. And so with that said, he says, that makes the body grow, that builds itself up in love. So uh, this has kind of been a different lesson. Uh, It was kind of weird to like prepare for this. Um, For me personally, just because, I don't know, I guess I have different reasons for that. But... Hopefully it was helpful. It's not a lesson I feel like I heard a lot growing up. Now, something I've paid a lot of attention to over the years, but in the last couple years I've been more mindful of. And I just wanted to present that so that within this group we can be encouraging to each other, even though we're not in the same circumstances. But also we can reach out to people who are in different circumstances than us, and we can understand that it's not always a right or wrong, but there's just differences in as this says, working properly. Um, I appreciate you guys' attention, and hopefully this lesson was helpful for you.